Rosillo and Joe Resinello. So as Joe and I always say, the left is teeing it up. Today's no exception. Taking this down, are they not haters? I think they might be listening to the front line with Joe and they Joe. Should be. And once more, dear friends, we are going way into the breach. conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere hello again everyone and welcome to the front line with joe and joe joe pasillo as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach now this is an important conversation all you viewers out there okay so if you're getting, if you're just uh, coming in, remember the most important thing to do with this video is number one to listen, and number two, share this video right now. We are pleased and honored to be joined by Dr. E. Michael Jones and Dr. Marek Hodekovic, and we're going to be talking about. We, Joe and I always talk about on the show uh, about resisting, resisting in the culture war. We talk about a lot of different things. Okay, well, we're having on these two gentlemen because they have resisted, they're continuing to resist, and they're showing us pathways. And, and things that we could do so that we could fight this culture war more effectively. We're going to be talking about what they did overseas in Poland. And then at the end of the conversation, we'll bring it back to maybe what we could start doing in the United States. So just to let you know, Dr. Marek Jan Hodekiewicz is a professor of history and holds the Kosciuszko Chair in Polish Studies at the Institute of World Politics in Washington, D.C. He was born in Warsaw, Poland. He earned a B.A. degree from San Francisco State University in 1988 a master's in philosophy from Columbia University and a PhD with distinction from Columbia University in 2001. His PhD thesis was entitled Accommodation and Resistance, a Polish County Krasnik during the Second World War and its aftermath, 1939 to 1947. One year into the six years of his tenure track position at St. Mary's College, Dr. E. Michael Jones got fired because of his position on abortion. Dr. Jones is pro-life. Dr. Jones then decided to abandon academe and start a magazine instead, initially known as Fidelity, and now as Culture Wars, that magazine set out to explore the disarray in the Catholic Church that led to his firing. Dr. Jones is a prolific speaker and writer. His books include Slaughter of Cities, Libido Dominandi, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, and his most recent work, Logos Rising, A History of Ultimate Reality. If you want to see a good overview of, the, of Logos Rising, on our YouTube and Facebook page, you can see Dr. Jones' interview with the Frontline with Joe and Joe. It'll give you a good overview, and you should all go out and buy the book. Dr. Mariko Dekovic and Dr. E. Michael Jones, welcome to the Frontline with Joe and Joe. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you very much. Hello, Joe and Joe and Dr. Jones. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I just would like to make a disclaimer. It's all my things. My views do not necessarily reflect the views of my employer, the Institute of World Politics, or 
the world government or anybody else. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. So uh, I'm going to kick it over to Joe. It's our custom. We always begin with the prayer. Uh, all good things start with the prayer, and this is a good thing. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. I'm going to kick it over to Joe, and he's going to lay Amen. Joe's going to lay the groundwork for the conversation with uh, reading you something. Um, I just want to say uh, I am absolutely so thrilled that you both are on the show. I expect nothing more than a fantastic conversation. Another thing I can guarantee is this. It's a cold New Jersey morning uh, morning and afternoon. And after this show, I will be having a nice cold beer because it's Friday. <laughs> so uh, Joe's going to start it off and we're going to get moving. All right, so gents, I want to I want to read you something that I came across in the Institute of World Politics, okay? And Dr. Hodekovic, you probably are well aware of this, but I, I want your comments on this. One of the this is a quote. One of the prime expressions of this anti-Western phenomenon emanating from the West is the so-called gay liberation movement, basing their overriding identity solely on their homosexual preferences. The ideologues of gayism seek to redefine the family out of existence by questioning its traditional time-tested character. Hence the persistent propaganda campaigns for gay marriage, child adoption by gay couples. Moreover, this extremist movement pursues not mere tolerance, but outright approval in its wake tread other lifestyle radicals such as pedophiles or old-fashioned polygamists whom the conquest of the gay movement have emboldened. Will they succeed eventually? And if so, what does this mean for the future of the Western world? So you both had a major role to play in defeating so-called gay marriage in Poland. So what I'd like to do is um, is start, well, I'll start with which either one of you want to go first. Tell our audience about uh, the experience over there in Poland and the importance of resisting this attack on our families in particular and Western, uh, civiliz Western civilization in general. Dr. Jones, if we could start with you, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, uh, my book, Libido Dominandi, uh, sexual Liberation and Political Control was translated into Polish, and the publishing house uh, invited me to Vectory. Vectory is the publishing house, invited me to uh, do a book tour in Poland. So I arrived in uh, Warsaw. I'm ready to do the book tour. We're in the car with the publisher and the translator, and suddenly the publisher's phone starts ringing. Uh, every two minutes, someone's calling him up saying, you've got to cancel this book tour. E. Michael Jones is an anti-Semite. Cancel the book tour. There's going to be a big demonstration in Wrocław tomorrow, thousands of people. It's going to be terrible. Cancel the book tour. So the publisher is there trying to field these calls. Uh, it's not going to come down to the publisher. Uh, it's going to come down to the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church is where we're going to give the talk. And uh, the same uh, publisher is beginning the phone calls, the chancellor of the Archdiocese of Warsaw is getting probably even more phone calls. So I get there, and there's the chancellor. I go into the cathedral, say a prayer, began with a prayer, come out. There's the chancellor, and he says to me, don't worry. It's okay. Okay. Now, at that point, this could proceed. Okay? So I walked into the hall. The hall is full. 
uh, I give my talk about libido dominandi, and then uh, people line up all the way across the hall, all the way around the block. They're bringing up copies of books for me to sign. And then the next day we go to Wrocław and there's nobody there. Nobody, six cop cars, nobody's there. So the point I'm trying to make here is this was the beginning of a successful collaboration between a guy who had an idea, who wrote a book, and the institutional church, which supported that guy's idea. And I'm saying that between the two of us, uh, we, can't, we, we defeated gay marriage in Poland. Now, I say this because I was in Argentina not long after that. I'm dealing with a guy who's just full of despair, one of ancient Catholic Hispanic families in Argentina, and I get an email from a guy in Poland, and he says, between you and the Polish bishop's uh, statement on gender ideology, you defeated gay marriage. And so I was able to go to this guy and say, listen, this is not a hopeless situation. And I think I found the formula for success in the culture wars. And it's basically an alliance here between ideas and the institution. Once you put those two things together, uh, you have a successful operation. And that's precisely the type of thing that's been thwarted just about every place else in the Catholic Church and certainly in the United States of America. The point here is to bring about this unity in the church, separate the hierarchy from the people, separate the intellectuals from the body, cut them off, cut the head off of the church, which is what happened to Catholic higher education. That's what happened in Poland. Whether it can happen elsewhere, uh, that's another question. Dr. Marek, your comments on that? Well, uh, my experience is uh, quite different than Dr. Johnson's. Uh, I agree with him that uh, the church is us, which means the uh, faithful and the hierarchy and the faithful and sometimes the hierarchs include also intellectual intellectuals like Dr. Jones but I, I didn't pop into Poland I uh, actually returned to Poland and started going back to Poland following 1989 writing reading and telling stories of my growing up becoming acculturated becoming American in San Francisco of all places. Uh, I could probably write a very entertaining book on sexual harassment because when I was in college, I worked in retail, including needless markup, Newman Marcus. Uh, me and the head of security were the only guys. Everybody else, uh, so half the crew had identity problems. And all I had to do in Poland was just keep writing articles, uh, telling everyone about the nonsense. Nobody believed me. Nobody believed me. But this was not anything unusual because when I would go back home to the peninsula to my foster parents, my Californian foster parents, and tell my family and neighbors of what was going on from the early 80s in San Francisco, nobody believed me because they thought, you know, come on, this is America. And at first I thought, cool, I get to date Chanel models because there is no competition. And then I thought, but wait a minute, this thing is spreading. It's bound to spread because already um, I was shuffling then between, I started with College of San Mateo, then I was shuffling between Stanford and 
berserkly, uh, and uh, there were already gay clubs, or uh, I don't remember, they were not LGBT yet, because we're talking 35, almost 40 years ago, so they were called something else, but they, they, they had already morphed from their original San Francisco form to whatever was applicable in academia. I remember having uh, conversations with my colleagues uh, in college and I'd say, what are you guys crazy? I understand you may have this or another inclination, uh, but how would you feel if I, I don't know, if I set up a club in uh, uh, glorifying my own predilection for blondes, blonde women. That's just insane. What kind of a club is that? And you make a virtue out of it. At least I'm, try <laughs> I'm trying to, as a, as a college kid, you know, I'm trying to uh, keep things down, but you are advertising everything. Uh, so I, I, I observed things and I noticed that they were spreading since the implosion of the Soviet Union. Their liberated slaves were looking for an alternative. And of course, in Poland in particular, everybody loves the United States of America. Uh, so I knew they would embrace whatever America gave them, not just NATO, not not just free markets, but they would love to have some kind of a value system. And since uh, Polish iteration of Catholicism tends to be mystical and also tends to spring from misery, namely uh, national oppression and foreign occupation, it doesn't have what Dr. Jones calls strong intellectual basis. We, we fall down before Our Lady and pray in Poland. I still do. I've been in this country most of my life, but I still do. The Poles, however, do not have intellectual ammunition. So... Uh, the post-communists and their liberal collaborators immediately, immediately embraced all pathologies. And I've been fighting against those pathologies, just like in the United States. I've been doing the same thing with increasing strength and shrillness for almost 40 years. But I was not allowed to publish, except perhaps in the underground if my articles or my pieces got there, I was not allowed to say anything until after 1989. Mm -hmm. And then I started it, as I said, it was received mostly as something outlandish. It no longer is. And Dr. I Jones contributed to uh, preaching to the choir which the choir had been singing of tune because it had no idea what was coming and it thought that I was insane. My um, uh, default attitude is humor, making jokes. Some say it's the best 
form of aggression. But at the same time, you're not taken seriously. However, if you are serious about things that I saw, not only in San Francisco, but now all over the United States, a, a, if you're serious, then nobody will listen to you because they'll think you're paranoid. At least if I came across a silly with true stories, they they penetrated somehow. And as you all know, or at least I hope you know, I think St. Paul said that that a thought, an idea is like a seed. It has to be buried, die, then it germinates and springs. Speaking of your articles, Dr. Marek, because Joe wants to get into it, but I will mention. I have a book. I've over. written, I actually have written 34 books, six of them in English, and one book called On the Civilization of Death uh, concerns exactly what uh, Dr. Jones has been talking about. Dr. Marek, let me let me cut you off for a second. It's important um, to, to, to note that one of the things that Joe and I are going to be covering um, on our show on Sunday, um, and then I'm going to kick it over to Joe because we want to talk about one of your more recent articles, um, is that France, of all people, Macron and France is saying basically that we don't want telling, telling you know, we, what they're going through over there is they're suffering under this, this importation of American values, and it's causing it's causing problems. But they are not American values. They're anti-American values. No, no. more that they were uh, French values in the great anti-French revolution or Russian values in Russia. These are Gnostic antinomian values from crazy sects that, been, that have been with us probably from the inception of time. So please do not dignify or ennoble pathologies by calling them Americans. They have been having a field day in America, but that's not what they are. I want to focus on what you wrote uh, in Crisis Magazine, Dr. C. You basically said the EU is coming for Catholics, and I'd like to hear what uh, Dr. Jones has to say about it as well. You basically wrote in the article that Brussels and the EU endeavors brutally to impose its social engineering schemes on the Poles and the Hungarians. You rightly uh, claim that uh, we're witnessing a fight over two fundamental issues, immigration and sexuality. First to Dr. Jones, I'd like for you to comment on the general question of sexual liberation as it pertains to the plans of the oligarchs in the U EU. Okay, uh, the, the beginning of this was happened right after World War II. And the, and the main reason we're talking about the EU is because Germany is the most powerful force in the European Union. Germany was conquered by the uh, United States, and it had imposed on it the most ruthless form of social engineering ever in the history of the world. Uh, the, I'm talking now not about the uh, Morgenthau Plan, which was to starve the Germans to death, but the Marshall Plan, which was supposed to be benign. Nobody seems to realize that the social engineering uh, began immediately with the currency reform. As soon as the Germans had money, they were uh, flooded with pornography. And pornography then became the weapon against the German people uh, at that time. Uh, the church ha had its own legion of decency at this point. It was called the Volkswart Bund. 
uh, and it had been in existence before World War II. Uh, it was still in existence, and this man fought a valiant action against what he called schmutz und schund, uh, which are kind of archaic terms. Uh, it means like filth and smut. And at the, he's waging this battle at the same time that Kinsey comes over and he's talking about science. And so everyone was more interested in science because the illustrated magazines, all of which had to get a license from a Jewish psychiatrist from New York City in order to publish, they were all talking about Kinsey and sex and it was in the air. And at this point, the church became embarrassed, became embarrassed by its own organization. Same thing happened here. The Catholic Church in the United States became embarrassed by the Legion of Decency, and they basically let, they ran up the white flag of surrender in 1965 with that movie called The Pawnbroker, which was Jew, a Jewish Holocaust port. Okay, same thing happened in Germany. The, the hierarchy, the church lost its nerve, and they caved in, and Germany was flooded with pornography. I was there. I was teaching. Uh, my students were being subjected to movies at the local theater called things like Schulmädchen Report. Report is not a German word. Bericht is the German word, and report is imported from Kinsey. It was the Kinsey Report, and they were swept away, and no one knew what happened. And the result is that the Germans were completely defeated. Their morals were completely corrupted. Sexual morality went down the drain. I watched it happen. I saw it up close happening. People that I knew, close, okay? The result is that Germany is a totally conquered country right now, and the job of Germany is to impose its status on the rest of Europe, okay? Now, this became crucial at the fall of communism. I was in Poland in 1990. Uh, six months after the Berlin Wall came down, while it was still technically a communist country. And I was talking, I was again, back in Wrocław, I meet a dentist, a lady dentist, and she tells me, no one's going to tell me what to do with my body. And I could see there was, uh, you know, there's rebellion there. There's rebellion against the church. I mean, communism was the enemy. As soon as that goes down, there's going to be this rebellion. And that's what was in the back of my mind this whole time. Now the crisis, ha ha the crisis has swept over Germany. Germany is a conquered country, but Poland isn't, and neither is Hungary, and that's what this is about. The, the same, the, these people, they had the, the, this ruthless social engineering imposed on them, and now they're going to impose it on everyone else, anyone who disagrees, and that means Poland and Hungary right now. Now the thing that they have going for them is this Catholic identity, because it's a real identity. And I think that's going to be the fundamental difference here between that, those countries and any other country in Europe. Do you think they'll be successful? No. What? I hope you're right. No, I don't. I mean, I, I, I had those. I've I, everyone. As soon as I say this, some guy from Poland's going to say, "You don't know what you're talking about." I'm living over here. Blah 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 blah. But I think they are going to be successful. Dr. Merrick, uh, please. Now, Dr. Jones obviously was talking about the sexual revolution um, and, well, and uh, sexual liberation. Could you tell us why immigration is so central to their plans, i.e. they're looking to bolster tax intakes, salvage labor shortages, reverse demographic collapse? You write about this in your article. Why is immigration so important? Go into that for our audience, please. Well, I think it's... Uh 
the flip side of the coin as far as immigration, but just to uh, dot an eye for, for Dr. Jones, not that he needs it. Uh, his is Paul Gottfried's thesis that uh, the Soviets brought socialism and rapists on their tanks and we brought back the Frankfurt School from New York to uh, destroy Germany. I think Germany destroyed itself in World War I. Once uh, the monarchy fell, it was down the hill. They were so nihilistic. They were ready to uh, embrace anything. Uh, Berlin in the 1920s was essentially San Francisco. You have no idea. This is uh, the pathologies are uh, universal, ubiquitous, international phenomena. Uh, Germany, after World War II, continued in desperation. It did not turn back to God, despite such giants as Bishop Graf von Gallen. I have German family, too. Uh, and Germany simply, or Germany, German intellectuals, if they were not pro-communist, pro-socialist, they were looking for something new and entertaining because they figured the old brought them only destruction and misery and they want power and be cutting edge. Therefore, they embrace anything that gives it to them. And that's also a story of Germany's um, uh, sexual revolution. I remember my relative, a Catholic from an old family. I'm talking family that was Czech uh, until the uh, until the Battle of White Mountain in 1620, because they were Catholic. Uh, they um, supported the Habsburgs and they Germanized and continued on as German nobility. He divorced and he told me, you know, what the church asks for us is too difficult. So it isn't just the vanguard that Dr. Jones um, uh, has so aptly described. It's also a general malaise. He, Otto, should have been the graph that he is, uh, staunchly upholding the faith and... Uh, showing the way, he simply gave up. The fish rots from its head, as you know. So there are very many factors for the, for, to account for the downfall of Germany. Also the Holocaust, which uh, they finally acknowledged, that in turn allowed them to disclaim responsibility for anything else like the mass murder of Catholic or Christian Poles and others. So they have embraced being in the forefront of castigating everybody else for anti-Semitism. That's what the German elite does too. The degrangolade, the, 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 the collapse of the German spirit is across the board. Across the board. Well, mm -hmm. as far as immigration, it's the flip side, meaning uh, here is another story from Charles Murray. Charles Murray, um, a sociologist, 
went to Switzerland to lecture uh, about family. He did so in a secular way. I don't think he invoked uh, the church, Jesus, Mary, or anybody, or Joseph, to be uh, to be fair with the Irish. In after the con conference, essentially, uh, the audience approached him, and one guy said, "Why are there? Why are the Americans bent out of shape about family? This stuff, you know. I have a wife. I have a girlfriend. I have a." couple of summer houses in Portugal and Spain. What's the big deal? That's just a new form. Out of this degeneration, collapse, come no children. If there are no children, there are no women, no families, there will be no civilization. Therefore, you have to import anybody who will work. Here comes the ideology of tolerationism. You pretend to be tolerant to get peons. Peons come from the third world, in Europe's case, mostly from Muslim countries, uh, North Africa, uh, the Middle East, and of course, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. They are regaled with tales of tolerance and, geez, equality, which is the key word. It's all fake. They're supposed to be the taxpayer base. It's a very cold calculation. Instead of restoring decency, Merkel invited slaves. And since the powers that be do not care about little platoons of Edmund Burke, they don't care about uh, continuation of tradition. Everything is relative for them except power then why not change the face? Since the Europeans are dying, who's going to change uh, the diapers for Macron? And I don't mean baby diapers, I mean adult diapers. <laughs> and it's like that across the board. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a, it sounds like a horror story, but it only sounds like a horror story for normal people, not for the denizens of Elysium who float in the clouds having fun. Thank you for that, Dr. Merrick. Uh, Dr. Jones, very direct um, question, because a lot of people say a lot of things about what I'm going to ask you. Tell our audience what your view is, or define what the Great Reset is for our audience from Dr. E. Michael Jones. It's just a, a repeat of something that's been happening uh, off and on for, for a long time. If you want to know the, the story of the reset, read uh, Naomi Klein's book, uh, Shock Therapy, because that's what we're talking about here. You institute a crisis or a crisis happens naturally, and then you come in and you use the crisis as a way of intervening and changing the entire situation for your benefit. So it could be Katrina, which then will be used as uh, uh, an excuse to privatize public uh, schools in New Orleans. Uh, it, it could be a, a, a tidal wave, uh, in which case you use this, uh, the destruction of housing there to basically steal the land from the natives and give it to private enterprises. It can be a catastrophe like um, what happened to the Soviet Union, the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, leading to uh, the looting of the country. 
In other words, any type, any type of change, any type of big change will always be used as an excuse. And Rahm Emanuel is the guy who came up with the slogan. It's a, he said, never let a crisis go to waste. So all we're seeing here is the oligarchs are going to use the COVID crisis to institutionalize whatever it is that they, they want at this moment. Obviously, we've talked about the Poles and the Hungarians. Are other countries in Europe hostile to this idea of the Great Reset? You don't read about them. I mean, I can't imagine regular people, working people in Spain, in Portugal, in Italy, France, going for this. Are they hostile? We, we, as well? we are in the we are in the midst of a worldwide revolution against all the oligarchs. It's that simple. The Trump election in 2016 was one example in the United States. Brexit in England was another example in England. Uh, the yellow vest in France was an example in France. Uh, the COVID uh, re revolution in Germany is an example of Germans standing up to that oppressive system. The farmers' uh, rebellion in India, exactly the same thing. It's a worldwide revolution against oligarchy. It's that simple. Right. Uh, George Soros said something to the effect that I'm having a great crisis. <laughs> this was during the subprime collapse. Uh, I think we are in the midst of a brewing counter-revolution because the evil ones, or as you call them oligarchs, are the revolutionaries because they oppose nature itself. So we are counter-revolutionaries, not revolutionaries. And uh, the popular rebellion uh, Perks up everywhere. In Denmark, there were demonstrations. I have family in Denmark, so I know firsthand. There are demonstrations of uh, a, a Men in Black. Remember that movie, Men in Black? So I think they call themselves sure. Guys in Black. They used to come dressed up to uh, clubs and uh, balls, throwing Men in Black parties to make fun of UFOs and that culture. And now they are behind uh, demonstrations against COVID restrictions and cr and crushing our freedom against passports, et cetera, et cetera. But this is all a counter-revolution. Uh, counter-revolution is a reaction. It's good that there is a reaction, but the best defense is offense. And none of this manifests itself anywhere. We seem to wait instead of anticipating and striking first. Wait until the evil ones do evil, and then we get upset. And the whole point is, when you assess the situation, analyze it, and see where things are heading, to preempt it, to strike well, first. Well, that's one of the things that we're trying to emphasize, Dr. Marek, is that, is that we, we have to stop being on defense. I'm tired of defense all the time. In other words, our job is to assert the truth of things and let them go on defense. And I think in this conversation, you're giving examples of where we're doing just that. As people are saying, why do I have to, why do I have to defend the position that, that it should be illegal to murder children in the womb? Why do I have to defend that? You have to defend your willingness to, let's say, legalize something like that. If you're, let's say, if you're on the left or whatever you want to call it. But um, and the, the thing other is, side is in your face. What's the that? Other si the other side is in your face. They're in That's your face all the time. You you started yeah. the conversation today, Dr. Marek, talking about San Francisco. Where where are they more in your face? You you know, know, I, 
I, uh, I don't know whether you remember this, but since you brought up abortion, Joe Scheidler just died. He died yeah. on Martin Luther King's birthday, one of the giants of the uh, right to life movement uh, in the United States. He was 92 years old. Uh, I knew Joe. Uh, and uh, he wrote uh, four years ago. He wrote an autobiography that described his whole, uh, you know, his whole career. Uh, one of the, one of the problems that we're constantly dealing with here is identity theft. Now, I I dealt with this in St. Louis, and I consider that a a a, a small victory in the culture wars, because there were people who were going to try and tear down that statue. Of yes. St. Louis in St. Louis, and uh, the guy who was orchestrating it said anybody who defended the statue was a white supremacist. Well, uh, all those white supremacists were all praying the rosary. Well, wait a minute, is that something white supremacists do? No, I don't think so, because they were Catholics. But in order to accomplish that, what that mission was about, you had to steal their identity and call them white supremacists so that they would lose. Now, when I entered that debate, I changed the terms. And that statue is still standing. So this is part of what we've got to do here is have this uh, sense of uh, defending identity and preventing identity theft. Now, to get back to, to Joe Scheidler, Joe Scheidler was in many ways a victim of identity theft. Why do I say that? Because he went to Notre Dame University and they stole his identity as a Catholic. Now, wait a minute. How is that possible? Notre Dame's a Catholic institution. Yeah, well, I, I was a professor at the institution across the street, St. Mary's, and I got fired for being against abortion there because they had stolen that institution's identity. Now, Hesburgh, Father Hesburg stole Notre Dame University from the Catholic Church in 1967 when he put the uh, university under a lay board of trustees and issued the Land of Lake statement to justify it. Here again, we're talking about identity theft. And because of that, Joe, Joe could never think, I, I admire Joe. He's an activist. But there's problems with being an activist if you don't think through the situation. And the problem with Joe was he was always using templates rather than concepts. And the main template Joe used was the civil rights movement. Yeah. And the other template that Joe used was the Holocaust. Now you put these two things together and you are going to lose because you cannot define the enemy. Now, what do I mean by the enemy in the abortion debate? I'm talking about uh, the testimony of Bernard Nathanson. Bernard Nathanson was a Jew, a gynecologist, and a man who was behind the overturning of the abortion laws, uh, prohibiting laws in New York, which then became the template for the whole United States of America. And he wrote a memoir after he became pro-life. And after he became pro-life, he also became a Catholic. So he switched identities. And he said in that memoir that it, the big pro, the, the, the abortion movement knew what to do because they always created a villain. And the villain in this was the Catholics, and specifically the Catholic hierarchy. And they just played that and they beat that uh, uh, until they were blue in the face. And they succeeded. Now, the other side could never do that. And I'm talking about Joe Scheidler right now, because he was crippled by the categories that had occupied his mind because of going to Notre Dame University. So the one thing that Joe Scheidler could never say is the one thing that Bernard Nathanson did say, which is basically abortion 
was a, a, a plot concocted by crazy Jews from New York City. That's a direct quote from his book, his autobiography, Aborting America. A direct quote. The, the, the other side, Joe was crippled because he couldn't do that. And he, all, he was relying on something like as soon as they recognize us as the heirs of Martin Luther King, they'll, 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 they'll stop abortion. Well, no, that's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. And the problem was that he lacked the identity. He lacked the ability not only to identify himself, but to identify the enemy. And Sun Tzu said, if you can't identify, if you don't know who you are and you can't identify the enemy, you will lose every battle. That's the story of the culture wars in America. I, I want to just throw this at the two of you because um, you both are very aggressive and are on offense. How do you do that with a press that simply is brainwashing not just America but the globe I mean, I have friends. Let, over let, let, let me answer. Let me, I can answer that right away. A reporter from the New York Times just said an article in the New York Times said Biden needs to appoint a reality czar so that we can get rid of all of these conspiracy theories. Now, when he said that, he admitted that nobody is taking the New York Times seriously anymore, which is announcing a, a, a tremendous victory for us right now. We are, we are winning this battle, the battle for the American mind. We are winning it. And the testimony, the, the proof that we are winning it is because they have to ban us. If, they, if we weren't winning, they wouldn't have to ban us. So we're winning. That's a good point. I think people should be encouraged by that. Uh, Dr. Jones, you, you, have, um, you talked a lot about Africa. Um, so let's put it like this. Do you believe that, let's say, for argument's sake, and Marek, please, you know, whichever one of you would love co comments from both. Um, a lot of people say that the Catholic Church has left Europe, okay, and has moved to Africa. Dr. Jones, you spent a good deal of time there, like I said, so if you would respond first, then Marek. Do you see the Catholic Church growing in Africa? Absolutely. There's no question about that the Catholic Church is growing. The crucial issue now is how high of, how Let's put it this way. How high is the intellectual level going to be in Africa? That's the crucial issue. You've got thousands of people. You go to Kenya. Every place I went, I was there were convents, thousands of nuns. It's like the 1950s in, in Brooklyn. Okay? Uh, <laughs> but the point here is, where is Logos here? And so I gave this talk. This, uh, I'm in Nairobi uh, to Strathmore uh, Prep School. All these... Africans, the Kenyans, they're all there. They got their blue blazers on, gray slacks, got tie. They all look like a, a million bucks. And I give a talk on Logos and uh, proof for the existence of God. And they all understood what I was saying. This is where we have to take this generation. We have to bring them up to speed on Logos, on the Logos. This is what, this is the situation in the United States let's say, at Notre Dame in 1950, when Joe Scheidler graduated. You had this Logos had come from France to the United States in the person uh, of the Thomistic revival and the person of Etienne Gilson and Jacques Maritain. And now it was the time for the German immigrants, the children of the German immigrants, the Irish immigrants, to pick up St. Thomas. And Notre Dame was going to do it for them. And then Notre Dame strangled Thomism and Logos in its cradle. And Joe was a victim of that.
Joe was a victim of that. That's what's got to happen in Africa. There are other things that have to happen in Africa, but the 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 the, the short uh, story here is that I'm going to give a conference now uh, um, on Logos in Africa because I think they're ready. They're ready to move forward. The 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 the, the kids are smart, but they got to stop thinking that they're all, they're all going to become study IT and get a job at an IT firm in in Nairobi or someplace like that. That's not going to happen. There's got to be a fundamental reorientation of how to work. That's a crucial issue. They have to solve the uh, the used clothing problem. They got a used clothing problem. They call it Matumba. The importation of used clothing from the the Jew, Jewish rag pickers in New Jersey, by the way, uh, is destroying the economy. It's destroying the economy in Kenya, and they have to face up with that. They banned it. And then the, the same Jewish rag pickers went to Secretary Mnuchin and he threatened them with sanctions and that killed the ability to restart the economy. So they got to get st these, these things straight. Once they get that straight, then all of that demographic power that is there right now can be put to productive use. That's what that's what's going to happen. Uh, Dr. C, I go to a <laughs> Polish American Catholic church in New Jersey. I found I go there because they're faithful. And I loved what you said in the beginning of the interview that you fall on your face in front in front of Our Lady. So my wife is That's Haitian. Why feminism hasn't worked too well in Poland. If you are taught as a child to get down on your knees before women in authority, you don't have a problem with women in authority. <laughs> but I, I say that <laughs> Polish Catholics are strong. Um, and I found that this church, I mean, my wife is Haitian American. I'm Italian American. We go to a Polish American church because they're faithful. I, I, I go to a Catholic, Roman Catholic church, not a Polish church. No, but you know what I'm saying. You attend the church in the Polish neighborhood. Exactly. Dr. Jones, who's originally from uh, Philadelphia, he knows the deal. There's a lot of ethnic churches in our area. Why I say okay. this is at the end of the day, I mean, these are places, they're hubs of Catholicism. You know, Poland, Italy used to be a hub of Catholicism. And frankly, it's gone. It's gone. No one goes to church anymore. And to Joe's point, this is going to Africa. But the power base in Rome to the Dr. Jones's point, clearly is not African. Um, I would love to see an African pope. I think they would bring orthodoxy back. I don't see it. The power base is still European. I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on that. Well, there are certainly um, uh, students of Archbishop Lefebvre in Africa who would make a fantastic pope uh, because Lefebvre was in Western Africa. But you've opened up so many... Uh, issues and so many can, cans of worms. So let me uh, dispose of, uh, of some. I agree on centrality of logos with Dr. Jones. However, logos is beyond the reach of many. Instead, they are driven by desires, emotions, etc. Logos. Uh, requires self-control. So Logos also dictates that there are very many 
Jewish people. They are not the Prussian army. We have secular Jews, including indifferent ones, and the revolutionaries that Dr. Jones talks about. We have uh, a, the Jewish religion in a variety of forms. I mean, you, anybody can form a synagogue uh, among the conservative who are liberal and the orthodox, the attitude to abortion has changed to a much more stringent since the Holocaust. The religious, seriously religious ones, don't make it their business to meddle in our issues. Uh, they have their own story. Also, please remember that the Jewish people don't have a Pope. So like the Muslims, anybody can have any opinion. And if you prove it according to the laws, it's true. Okay. Then again, back to Logos and Africa. Dr. Jones says the people in Africa need Logos. Well, when Poland came to be occupied uh, by the Soviets in 1944-45, Archbishop Prince Sapieha uh, decided that what Poland needed was faith. His successor, anointed successor, Cardinal Wyszynski, prayed and he re realized that Logos may be central to him, but the common people need Fides. Why? Because the intellectuals were bitten by Hegel. They were uh, seduced, at least partly, by communism. Some of them uh, either became liberal or continued in a progressive Catholic vein. Uh, Wyszynski saw it as a threat. So he enhanced the cult of the Virgin Mary. Faith, faith, and not logos for the people. Because then we can have a crusade. Because then, when even the most defeated and downtrodden look around and see the powers that be, they are not scared because they have faith. So well, that was Wyszynski's solution. Dr. Jones would like to introduce logos on a massive universal scale in Africa, that would be counterproductive. Logos ought to rule in the seminaries. Logos ought to rule among the students of uh, Dr. Jones. If you introduce logos and make it obligatory among the common people, this will lead to a Protestant revolution. Everybody will have his own church. So yes, I love logos, I think the primacy of Logos in our intellectual pursuit is a must. But since the church is under siege and we're fighting a counter-revolution, faith. Faith that the English will land in the Vendée. Faith that the Allied will hate, help the white armies against the Bolsheviks. Hate, ha hope that someone like George Patton will drive in his tanks all the way to Poland. And that is not Logos. Logos, in each instance, dictated otherwise. So the leaders of the Catholic resistance of the counter-revolution should know what's going on. Dr. Jones, can you comment on that? Yeah, but uh, faith is primary. I, I, think, I think when you're saying Logos, you're, 
you're, you mean philosophy. Uh, logos is bigger than philosophy. I don't mean the, pri uh, the, pri the, pri mean the primary. The primary manifestation of logos is speech, and that is characteristic of every single human being. We have no choice about following logos. We are creatures of logos, and we are condemned to do it either one way or the other. Okay, you can accept your uh, your existence as a creature. Uh, or you can reject Logos and come up with this anti-Logos ideologies that now rule the university. Now, I don't see that faith uh, is antithetical to reason. Uh, I'm following Aquinas in this regard. Uh, I don't think it's antithetical. I think the faith tells us truths that we could not know by reason alone, okay? And we accept them by revelation. Now, if you want to talk about a strategy, a strategy uh, where you're going to pit faith against Logos, uh, you're going to lose. And the best example I can come up with is Notre Dame University, okay, where they abandoned Thomism and they thought, well, it doesn't matter. Well, it did matter. It did matter because what you had now was uh, a, a completely rootless, confused student body who were told, well, if you got problems, go pray the rosary at the grotto, and that'll take care of your problem. That's not going to solve your problem, because we are creatures of Logos, and we have to have some type of firm foundation uh, at the basis of our action. And I'm talking about foundation in reason and metaphysics. And when that was strangled, the kids were confused, and the rosary is not going to help you. The rosary is no substitute for metaphysics. Okay, it can complement it, but it's not a substitute for it. And when you try and use it as a substitute, you end up with a lot of students getting drunk all the time because they can't figure out anything and the, the tension is too much and they need some type of escape into sex and alcohol. Look at Notre Dame University for proof of that. Let's leave that part of the conversation there because we're, we're uh we're going to keep it moving along. You want to talk Absolutely. About tech? Yeah. Um, obviously, Poland's uh, new Freedom Act is in the news. Um, this is something Joe and I recently uh, covered. Um, big tech censorship was uh, basically is being a, is being pushed back um, by the leadership of Poland. I'd like to hear what your thoughts are, Dr. C, on uh, what the Minister of Justice, Sebastian Collada basically just said. He said, the process of using algorithms to suppress particular views, as long as they do not break Polish law, will be regulated. And that, if social media platforms break this law, they will be fined. Um, this is something that I think shadow banning is what they're discussing. Also, the Prime Minister of uh, Hungary, uh, Viktor Orban, had some things to say about it. Could you talk to us a little bit about this new Freedom Act of Poland? Well, it's not so new. I think in uh, Iowa, North Dakota, Florida, governors and state legislatures have been talking about uh, preserving freedom of speech on the Internet in a variety of forms. For instance, I think in the Dakotas, they're thinking about allowing people to sue for suppressing Correct. freedom of speech. I think in uh, uh, in Iowa, some of the state providers of internet will give you a choice to switch off totally uh, access to Facebook and uh, other big tech uh, uh, platforms. And then in uh, Florida, I think the governor has been talking about Correct. fining people. And finally, Poland has 
got the gumption to start doing the same thing. Well, it, it, it's so, I mean, would you? I mean, uh, Poland now has a coalition government. To make a long story short, uh, using American terms, the majority are rhinos who represent the uh, the Trumpian uh, majority of the people who are not in agreement with the rhinos who rule the country. But there are various uh, parts of the coalition. And the people who occupy the Ministry of Justice are led by Zbigniew Ziobro. He is hardcore. He is a hardcore conservative. And one of his sidekicks is this kid, Kaleta. They actually sat down together and thought about it. And finally, they have uh, introduced solid legislation. I hope it's the beginning because uh, anybody destroying free speech, and I, ha I have an article on it on Newsmax, uh, anybody destroying free speech will, have, will be fined up to $2 million a pop. So we'll see how it flies. Because remember, big tech is not just virtual, it's anchored, including in Warsaw. They have offices. It, it, they, but they are not accountable. They're totally anonymous. Just like in the United States, they can turn you off and you don't know if you're dealing with a bot, artificial intelligence, or an apparatchik, an actual human being. And there are very few ways you can intervene and restore yourself when, in fact, what happened to a client is always right. We created the monster called social media. Social media is just an advertising platform. Without us, they are nothing. So there are very many ways uh, to fight them. Through rosary, like in St. Louis, through logos, of course. We can fight them and we can get rid of them. We can create alternatives or we can just turn ourselves off. But then we wouldn't be able to listen to you. There is a very beautiful English word to discriminate. That means to choose what you like. So I you like just, to you, listen you just to use you. A, you just used a naughty, naughty word. Dr. Jones, um, you've been a victim of this. Okay. And I'm not making it like, like victim in some wishy-washy way. They took you down. Right. They took you down from YouTube. Okay. Um, and who knows? They may take this video down too. Who the hell knows? We don't care. But the thing is, what are, what are your thoughts? Do you think that, let's say, what's going on in Poland, let's say, fighting back, threatening to find big tech, if you, if you let's say, if you uh, say something that's lawful under Polish law, then big tech cannot then deplatform you. Or what's going on, as Marek pointed out in the United States, we were going to bring up DeSantis in Florida, which Marek already did. Do you think that these efforts could be successful? Are you looking for, or can you offer other things that we could do um, on a governmental level now, not just us, but on a governmental level? Right, right. Yes, I think that this is a manifestation of what happens when you win the victory over gay marriage. This followed logically from that victory. This is another victory for the people. The gay marriage thing, the homosexual thing is an oligarchic, of type of psychological warfare to destroy the solidarity of the people by destroying the solidarity of marriage and so on and so forth. 
they they resisted that and now they're able to resist the oligarch the big tech tyranny of deplatforming this is a sign that the polls have a government okay the fact that they that people these people can do this with impunity to the people of the united states is a sign that we don't have a government we do not have a government if by a government you mean something that will defend your rights the rights of the average person the poor against the uh, power of the rich and the mighty. We don't have that here. And, and part of the problem is conservatism. Conservatism, uh, was for years, all they talked about was the danger of big government. Well, they prepared the demise of government by talking that way. So now we don't have big government. We don't have any government. We have oligarchic rule. Indiana's classic example. They passed the Religious Freedom of Restoration, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, saying you're not going to be bullied by some homosexual. And the oligarchs come in and say you have to change your law, and they change the law. They roll over and play dead. That means we do not have a government. That's the problem here. And I'm saying it goes back to conservatism. Conservatism wrecked the idea that government is there to defend the rights of the people. Because according to conservatives or the libertarians, if you want to get more specific, government is evil. It's not evil. It's created by God to protect poor people. That's why the government is there. And what we have here in the United States is bad idea of government. Uh, you want to call it conservatism? Going back to John Locke. Uh, which is the kind of the conservative hero who said property had unlimited rights. That's what wrecked the government here. These people are private enterprises. So if it's my, if I own Facebook, I have absolute rights to do whatever I want and I can kick you off and I don't have to give any explanation and nobody can come up with a, an alternative to that because they're all intellectually crippled by conservatism and all that idea of uh, property that goes with it. So that's another instance of why Poland as a Catholic country is doing better than we are. They resisted gay marriage. They are now defending the rights of people on the Internet. They understand that property does not mean unlimited rights to tyrannize people. And they, they're succeeding where we're failing. You know, I agree with you 100%. You know, conservatives actually go back to Aristotle, at least. Not, not to the Enlightenment and pre-Enlightenment. That's just one particular orientation that is dominant in the United States. But uh, uh, coming from, or I was born under totalitarianism, the less government there is, the better. And I agree with you that there was a Greek school of thought that argued that laws are made to protect the, uh, the weak from uh, the strong. So in other words, poor and others. So that, that is a function of the government. Well, noblesse oblige, I am here on this earth and I'm blessed by God. I'm blessed more than others. Therefore, and I have an obligation to serve. And that's also a form of government. In a, my family, it's called feudalism. I know everybody's freaking out right now because Americans are democratic and egalitarian. I... Uh, uh, however, thing that until you will have generated an elite in America, a crusading elite, then there will be extremely difficult to replace conservatism, Inc., with any viable alternative because it is always the elites 
like yourself, Dr. Jones, that germinate ideas and the people then assess them and follow. So let's not pretend that egalitarian is the rule, it's the solution. Now, already, as you know, not only St. Thomas Aquinas, but many fathers and mothers of the church preach that it's a sin screaming to, to heavens for punishment to deprive a working man of his wages. That is, yes. You talk anyway. about like feudalism. It's funny because it. Uh, if you read, uh, <laughs> you may have read the book, uh, Return to Order, John Horvath's book. He talks a lot of, of that as well. Um, it, you know, when you read yes. it as an American, it's shocking. Because to be honest with you, I found it to be, you know, but read, I... Read, read Eric von Kunert-Ledin, Leftism Revisited from the Saad and Marx to Hitler and Pol Pot. That's the closest it comes to Habsburg loyalism in the United States. He was one of the co-founders of National Review, a dinosaur I loved to pieces. He passed away not so long ago, maybe 15 years. And, and, and Dr. Jones, you talked about the oligarchs. I read something a while ago in Forbes. It said, in the Soviet Union, 365 men run the country. And in America, 365,000 run the country. I agree with you 100%. This is not a democracy. It is so clearly not a democracy. Like, And, and I think this election proved that to be the facts. I mean, the rich run this country. The powerful call the shots. The law doesn't almost even matter. They just change it or they manipulate it or they step over it or the press chooses not to cover it. How does the regular man fight this? You know, I mean, Joe and I, that's why we started this through the inspiration of, of a good priest um, to speak. But I mean, we're the regular man. We're not intellectuals. How does the regular man fight against this oligarchic structure? If, the first, if I may, the I'm first, sorry, Dr. First, Jones, if I may say first, one thing, you are not regular men. It, the, uh, no titles, no, um, uh, no ranks. If you transcend your position, you're already the elite because you give example. So don't delude yourselves that you're just regular folks. No, you're a voice of regular folks and you may hear it better because it's in your neighborhood. But you fight for what is right and that's what distinguishes you from the block of cheese, people who consume and are very surprised that anything is happening to them. Thank, thank you. That's what makes an elite. Sorry, thank, I'm very sorry, thank, Dr. Jones. Thank you for tolerating me. Thank, thank you for saying that. But the first... The first line of defense here is uh, uh, is identity and not accepting the categories that are imposed on you to enslave you. That is the first line of defense. So when when you go to the Capitol and you uh, are protesting what you think was a stolen election and you go there thinking you're a patriot and that you're a Trump supporter, and then you come back and you read in the newspaper, I, I'm mistaken, I, I'm a domestic terrorist. That's precisely the type of false identity that is constantly being imposed on us. So I, I thought I was a Catholic. 
but it turns out I'm a white supremacist. I didn't know that. I guess you're right. I'm, this is what happens to people. I've, I've said this before, but there was a joke about uh, the biker rally in Sturgis where someone yelled, hey, asshole, and everybody turned around. <laughs> Do you turn around when they yell, hey, asshole? Well, that's precisely what happens to you when you watch the mainstream media. Because you thought, I, I thought I was a patriot, but I guess I'm a domestic terrorist. No, you have to refuse that. You have to insist on the integrity of your own mind because consciousness is always the first step toward some type of political action. All right, we're going we're gonna to have to leave. We went over the hour a little bit, so we're going to have to leave it there. Um, I mean, honestly, you two guys could, could go off for hours. And these are important. Dr. Jones, as, as we said to you the last time, you know, we've been following you for a while now. We ran into Merrick recently uh, because of his article in Crisis. He came on the Crusade Channel um, and uh, we had a conversation there. So we're so happy that you joined us together. But these are these are the conversations that need to be had. They need to be had often. We cannot we cannot back down. We appreciate the compliment, by the way, Merrick, when you said we're not regular men because you understood our context. But that's a really good thing for people to understand. Once in this culture, in this culture war, we say all the time on the show, Dr. Jones and Merrick, the greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. That's that, that is the revolutionary act. Amen. Right now. But it's Amen, always brother. been the case. Amen, brother. Well, I think it's even I think it's even more so now, Merrick, because we have this beautiful technology. We could get out. We could get, you know, this is the revolution, just like the printing press. However many hundreds of years ago was the revolution. This is something that we need to use, but they're shutting us down. That's why we had to talk about big tech. But like I said, I don't want to go on because um, we went over the hour, but we want to thank you both for, for coming on the show. Merrick, first to you, where could our audience find you and where you're working and your social media, whatever the case might be? Uh, www.iwp.edu, the Institute of World Politics. Awesome. That's where I am. And everything else pops up. You'll see uh, um, everything that's evil. New Newsmax, Crisis Magazine. You're, you, you know, you're publishing yes. an article. Dr. Jones, yeah. uh, where can people find you? And also, most importantly, buy your books. Go to culturewars.com. Uh, the second edition, three-volume, uh, second edition, 600 new pages of the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit is at the printer right now. It will be available uh, by the end of next month. So you can go to culturewars.com. Uh, and order or that Logos Rising, all of my books are available there. And also, I would just mention that Dr. Jones, I think I mentioned earlier, is the editor, the founder and editor of Culture Wars magazine. I subscribe to Culture War magazine. I recommend that everyone subscribe to Culture Wars magazine. Joe, any final thoughts? Just thank you. Um, I think people have to get out of the boat, whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy. We have to be fearless. And, and I'll be honest with you, that's where I think prayer particularly in front of the Blessed Sacrament, our Lord was a regular man, and all people can do this. He we was King to... David's descendant. We can do it. <laughs> Amen. And I'll be honest with you. If everyone, I'll be truthful, get, gets on their knees, gets on their knees and prays, God will give them the strength. I believe yes, that. And absolutely. then their minds will open. And that's what America needs. 
So we're going to leave it there. Thanks again. Dr. E. Michael Jones, Dr. Marek Jan Hodekovic for coming on to the front line with Joe and Joe. Remember all of you out there, follow Joe and I for now, for now on Facebook and YouTube. We're going to be weaning off of them, but we'll use them right now. So that's where you can find us. Um, and I'm going to post this video. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.